The information provided on this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials available are for general informational purposes only. Welcome to Rights Here, Rights Now, the podcast about disability, advocacy, and activism. I'm your advocate host, Ren Fazuski. And I'm your advocate host, Virginia Ferris. Every two weeks, we dig into relevant issues, current events, and avenues for self-advocacy. Because someone has to. And it might as well be us. This podcast is produced by the Disability Law Center of Virginia, the Commonwealth's Protection and Advocacy Agency for Disability Rights. Find out more at dlcv.org. So Virginia, today is a very special episode. We say this every time, but we do mean it every time. It is true. It's not just the topic, though. It is also because we're sort of participating in this episode. We are. We're doing a little bit of a roundtable today uh, with Dana Trainum and Aaron Haw, who have both been um, past podcast guests. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are talking about basically the incident reporting system uh, for community providers in Virginia. Yes, we are all part of this team. We're all in very different roles. And it'll be a really cool chat between four super cool people talking about some really interesting stuff. So I think we're all looking forward to it. But before we jump in, let's check out Disability in the News. The results were shocking. Only 1% of TV advertising included people with disabilities. Though people with disabilities account for more than a quarter of the population. Only 6,000 of those 450,000 commercials showed or referenced disabilities through themes, visuals, or topics. These ads accounted for 3% of spending for all TV ads. Over the inclusive ads, more than half were in the health and personal hair category, most were pharmaceutical-related. Advertisers are overlooking a huge segment of the population and missing opportunities to incorporate people with disabilities into everyday branding. This mistake could end up being costly. Advertisers had an opportunity to help break down social standards around disabilities by making people with disabilities more visible. Many brands are embracing the need to engage and include people with disabilities that are still reading them out as creative content. We hope representation and inclusion will continue to rise. Find out more at disabilitystoop.com. All right, time to talk about Chris stuff. 
which is an acronym that we're going to explain over and over again, I'm sure. We have uh, Aaron and Dana and Virginia as my co-host. And all together, we're part of the Chris team. <laughs> so we're all very knowledgeable. But I think we're going to start at the beginning talking about the work DLCV does really to ensure that providers licensed by the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services, DBA, DBHDS, another acronym, make sure that these providers are safer and more inclusive for people with disabilities. And Aaron is going to set the stage for us to talk about what that even means. Yes, thank you um, for that wonderful introduction. Um, so as you mentioned, Ren, we're going to have a lot of acronyms and I'm going to try my best to not fall into acronym land. Um, but again, DBHDS stands for the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. And in Virginia, DBHDS is our lead state agency for developmental disability, mental health, and substance use disorder services. So they have a pretty big charge and role in terms of the disability service system in Virginia. So one of the things that they do, and I think um, some of our listeners are already familiar with this based on prior podcast episodes we've had, but they directly fund and operate a number of large state institutions for people with disabilities. So like when we talk about Western State Hospital, Southeastern Virginia Training Center, those are large facilities that DBHDS directly funds and operates. But in addition to those programs, DBHDS licenses thousands of other service types and settings across the state. And so that includes um, for-profit providers, like some really, really big ones that operate in multiple states, um, some smaller nonprofit providers, in Virginia, we have things called community services boards. Um, so a number of their programs are licensed by DBHDS. Um, and there's other kind of provider arrangements that we have in Virginia as well. So within that bubble of DBHDS licensed programs, we have additional institutional service settings. So institutions not operated by the state um, those are going to be things like psychiatric residential treatment facilities for children. Um, and then we also have a service type in Virginia called intermediate care facilities for people with developmental disabilities. So all of those programs are licensed by DBHDS. On the other side, though, is the more um, community based uh, integrated service settings for people with disabilities. And some examples that people might be familiar with are things like group homes, um, sponsored residential placements, day programs. Um, some people may have heard of REACH, which is a crisis service um, system for people with developmental disabilities, and even things like case management through your local community services board. All of those different types of services are licensed by DDHDS. And when we talk about a provider being licensed by the state, we mean they have some rules that apply to them. So there's a big set of rules called the human rights regulations. Um, and then more to the point of what we're talking about today are the state's licensing regulations. And those licensing regulations are pretty in depth. They talk about things like 
staff training requirements, you know, requirements around emergency preparedness, making sure you have your first aid kits and your water reserves and all of that in your group home in case a hurricane comes through. Um, and then they also include some pretty specific rules around incident reporting. So if you go to a day program and something happens to you at that day program, something as serious as perhaps, um, you know, sexual assault, or just maybe like a little minor bump, bruise, scrape, um, those providers that are licensed by DBHDS have to prepare incident reports and submit those to the state for review. And we're very fortunate at DLCD because um, a few years ago, and Dana may remember the exact year. Dana, do you remember when our Chris le legislation went through? I think it started in 2016 and then we got it in 2017. Virginia, does that sound right? That sounds true. And okay. fairly certain it even is true. <laughs> I know we started actually receiving the reports in July of 2017. Okay, yes. So for a few years now, um, we have had access on our end to um, some of the reports that live in this incident database that providers input information into. And that database has another acronym. Um, it's in full, the Computerized Human Rights Information System, or CRIS. Um, so CRIS is what we'll be probably referring uh, to it as from here on out. Um, so and Dana will get a little bit more into, I think, kind of what types of reports we have access to in that database and what we don't have access. But um, basically our access to Chris plays a very, very important role um, in the work that DLCD does to make sure that people, both children and adults who live in community and institutional settings um, are safe and have access to inclusive services. That's a really good sort of way to start us off and way to provide context for what Chris is. I mean, for our listeners at home, for your purposes, you can essentially think of Chris as a guy who lives in the computer, who tells us about all of the incidents in DBHDS licensed programs. That's probably, that's kind of how I tend to think about it. And maybe, maybe just the simplest way. Um, Dana, can you tell our listeners a little bit about like the specific information that's contained in Chris? Sure. Um, so there are two sides of Chris is what we, how we refer to it. There are two sides. One side is, um, dealing with the licensing side. Aaron talked about, um, the office of licensing and the office of human rights. So the office of, of licensing side um, has serious incident reports. And serious incident reports are um, reports of things that require some sort of medical attention. So if someone gets injured and they have to go to the ER, they get sick and they have to see a nurse for some sort of medical care. Um, it also includes things um, like uh, folks leaving the program and, and missing person reports being filed. Um, it includes um, medication errors, uh, even if it doesn't require medical attention. Um, if a um, resident of a program injures another resident, that's included. And um, it also includes deaths. Any deaths that occur um, for an individual who is receiving licensed services. 
This includes deaths of folks who don't necessarily live in a program that's licensed, operated, or funded by the department. Uh, an example would be someone um, with a DD diagnosis or a mental health diagnosis who lives independently or with family, but they get case management services. Because case management is a licensed program, it's licensed by DBHDS, if a death occurs on that case manager or some, it's also called service coordinator, if a death occurs on that person's caseload, then they report it in CRIS. So we receive um, reports of folks who are even living independently in the community, as long as they're receiving some licensed um, services from some licensed program. So that's the serious incident side of Chris, and that is the side that we currently receive. We review those reports every day. Um, and um, I'd say an average day would be about 100, 100 reports a day on that side of Chris. Um, and remember from what Aaron said, we're talking about thousands and thousands of programs that are filing these reports. The other side of Chris, the human rights side of Chris, um, is the abuse and neglect uh, investigations and reports that happen in these licensed programs. We don't currently have access to this side of Chris, but we are working on it. Uh, there are um, a couple of bills going on right now in the General Assembly that would allow us to have access to this other side of Chris. And Erin, I know you're kind of following this legislative process a little bit closer. Um, can, can you tell us what we, we may be able to get if this goes through? Absolutely. So um, we are recording this podcast episode in the midst of um, Virginia's virtual 2021 General Assembly session. Um, and we've been very fortunate uh, as an agency that despite the pandemic and the many, many challenges that have come along with that in terms of trying to balance the state budget and make sure um, that the legislative process goes smoothly. We've had a lot of support from state legislators, from DBHDS, and from the private provider community to make sure that DLCV has a more complete picture about what is happening in these licensed community settings. So um, we have uh, bills that have been patroned by state legislators. And again, I think other than kind of the usual wordsmithing that happens during the General, General Assembly, they seem to be moving ahead um, quickly and effi efficiently. And um, I think we're hopeful that probably at the start of the next state fiscal year, we will newly have access to this abuse and neglect side of Chris. So um, it's still a little up in the air at the time of recording, um, but again, there really hasn't been any opposition that I'm aware of, um, really just the behind the scenes wordsmithing that's happening right now. Well, that is all very exciting because I know how much we all love more data. So. Since um, we're going to talk about the data, uh, Dana, as well as Virginia, you guys are the co-leaders and have been with this thing since the beginning, since its, it's birth into DLCV. As proud parents, why don't you talk about what does DLCV even do with this information? So currently we have access to these serious incident reports. What do we do with them once we have them? 
So Virginia, I can talk about the um, first tier review process, um, not in depth, but uh, you know how we do that. Um, and then maybe you can talk about the second tier and what we do with that information. How does that sound? Why don't you take us through the day-to-day? -day? Okay, the day-to-day, -day. okay. Not the day-to-day, -day, but <laughs> the day-to-day. <laughs> I am punchy today, Dana, take it away. Well, okay, the day-to-day -day is Friday. Um, yay! So, um, so what we do with Chris on a day-to-day -day basis is um, we have a Chris team and four members of that team are considered what we call first tier review in that we review the, the reports cold as they come in each day. And um, we, uh, you know, Ren, you said that, that Virginia and I have been here since the birth. We've actually been here since the conception um, because we, even before we started getting the reports, we're trying to figure out okay, we're gonna get these reports. What are we gonna do with them? How are we going to even figure out how to keep track of them? And, and so what we came up with was a six point rating scale. And I'm not gonna bore you with what the six points are, um, but just to tell you that um, when we look at a report, we are reading the narrative in the report and analyzing it and giving it um, a rank on that six point scale. And depending on what rank it gets, different things happen to the report at that point. It could go to a second tier review, um, which I'm going to let Virginia talk about because she's our second tier reviewer. Um, and then, um, or I have to say a majority, I, I don't know statistic wise, because um, I don't do numbers, but um, most of our reports are just your ordinary reports about stuff happens in life. Um, we call it a rank of four, which means there's really nothing, you know, nobody did anything wrong. Somebody got sick, you know, a kid uh, jammed their finger on the basketball court. You know, it's just things that could happen in day-to-day -day life. Um, I'd say, I definitely know the majority of our reports are those variety. Um, and, um, but then the other um, ranking systems, they go, all off in different directions. So, um, so that's how we handle it day to day. So Virginia, why don't you take it from there? What do we do when a report gets something other than a four? Yeah, so it, at that point, essentially to get something other than a four, what it means is somebody else needs to put eyes on this. And it may be that another person needs to confirm that, you know, this really isn't something that we can do anything about maybe because it didn't happen at a provider location. There have certainly been lots of incidents in which, yeah, something really troubling happened, but maybe it happened to somebody who was receiving case management services. Maybe they were, you know, for instance, assaulted at the hands of a family member. That's not, not concerning, but it's not necessarily indicative of an issue with the DBHDS provider. Um, so there, you know, there's something to be said for that. But a lot of what we do is looking at all of the data points involved and reading between the lines to, to see if there's anything that requires further scrutiny. 
Um, a lot of these providers are provided with really good detailed reports, but I don't think that I've ever received any report that I go, yeah, that provides all of the information that could possibly be said about this report. Um, so with that in mind, there are some of these that we look at that raise concern that we refer for um, independent investigation within DLCV. That can either mean that we start doing an investigation that nobody else has done at all, or it can mean we look at an investigation that's already been done to see if it was a sufficient investigation that addressed everything that needs to be. Um, we can also refer to other oversight agencies like the Department of Licensing, let them know if there's you know, a report that we're especially concerned with, we can refer to the Office of Human Rights. And we can refer to other licensing agencies as appropriate. Um, there are some providers that uh, if we're really concerned about, we might up our monitoring efforts. One of the really great things about Chris is that it, the fact that it's a database that tells us a lot about what's going on at a lot of different community providers, um, that gives us a window into those community providers because we can't always have boots on the ground in every place that services are being provided. There's not enough DLCV employees by half to be able to do that. So, but the reports that we receive can help us direct our monitoring efforts. So the staff that we do have can be spending their time as effectively as humanly possible. Um, we have something um, called the Coalition for Community Safety. I might let Ren talk about that a little bit more because she's actually been heading up our coalition efforts. Um, but it's essentially a team of stakeholders who are really invested in promoting safety and disability rights issues in the community. There are some issues that we bring to them and go like, hey, how can we as a group um, promote improvements here? Um, and we can at a legislative level advocate for targeted policy reforms, legislative changes um, in increased transparency by providers in DBHDS. One of the an example of that, a really basic example of that, is what we're doing right now, where we're trying to get more information. Because honestly, an issue that has come up as we've been doing Chris reports is that, you know, we don't necessarily think that we're getting all of the information we should. There are some reports that just don't have very much information in them. There are some providers that we think aren't necessarily reporting everything they should. And so giving us uh, greater access, fuller access to the CRISP reporting system and the other side of CRISP, it's gonna help us have a better idea of what's happening across the service provision system so we can respond appropriately and uh, know what else there is to tackle. Ren, this isn't uh, uh, you know, exactly something that we had talked about addressing, but it might be worth saying a little bit. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about the Coalition on Community Safety that I mentioned? Sure. Um, so the Coalition of Community Safety um, is essentially a, a group of volunteers who come from all over the service delivery system, whether they are part of the system itself as a provider or whether they receive services from the system um, and are self-advocates. And the idea is that we provide them 
the data from Chris um, and we come up with potential action plans to respond to um, what, what this data tells us. So um, for example, um, a couple years ago, some of the, the data we were tracking was transportation related injuries. Um, so this is individuals that were, you know, suffering injuries. This is actually, and there were even deaths involved. And we're seeing this on the rise. And so we took this data to the coalition and essentially said, okay, so what do we want to do to respond to this? And they came up with a bunch of different recommendations as to what providers could do to prevent uh, transportation related injuries. They also made recommendations to DLCV as to um, investigations they were hoping we would initiate. So that's something that the coalition can do. Um, there's a lot of creativity there and they are really excited about um, continuing that mission and seeing ways they can even get more involved um, in trying to um, address community safety issues. Um, a big part of that, again, is sort of, I've already mentioned, is this watch list. So uh, Virginia is sort of our data guru, but the idea is that we get all these reports. We also mark these reports as sort of what the, what the issue is involved. It might be uh, involved a urinary tract infection. It might involve a transportation incident. It might involve uh, the use of seclusion and restraint, or I guess in the community, the use of restraint. Um, so we track that and we start looking at, are there any trends that we see? Are there any things in particular that are deeply concerning? Um, this uh, last year, one of our big, um, big things we're tracking is obviously COVID-19 and not only seeing how many people were being reported as ill, um, if, you know, the deaths that were um, occurring as a result of COVID-19 complications, but we're also seeing if because of the illness that people were not being connected to services, whether they were being denied access to services. So that's also something we were looking at. Um, Abusive seclusion and restraint practices is something that we're always keeping an eye out for. Um, one of our current projects is regarding excessive force by and over-reliance on law enforcement. So one of the other, uh, as part of a serious incident is if law enforcement has been called to be part of whatever is going on. That can be as simple as, you know, the EMTs responding to an injury um, but we also see that if an individual is engaging in, you know, is having a mental health crisis or engaging in self-injurious behaviors, the use of law enforcement that mitigate that situation. So that's something else that um, we're also looking at. Um, in the past, we've tracked things such as um, urinary tract infections. So if we see a huge spike in urinary tract infections in group homes, we can coordinate a response on how to incur, you know, get group homes to better their practices and policies about management of urinary tract infections. We can also get um, self-advocacy um, information out as to how people with disabilities in the community can you know, better self-advocate for treatment to make sure that they're protected. So 
having this data allows us to kind of look at very specific issues and then coordinate responses on those issues. Yeah. So. And, and to part the curtain a little bit into sort of the inter interproject workings, you know, we were seeing some really concerning issues, some really bad effects from urinary tract infections. And that was part of what inspired us to do our podcast episode a few months ago on urinary tract infections. If you haven't listened to that already, um, you know, it's, I'm not saying it's a fun episode, but like, it's an important episode. <laughs> I think people should listen to because, you know, yeah, like Ren said, um, it's a it's a systemic issue. It's one that we can see in Chris, and you know, there's there's actual steps for improvement that can be made, and one of them is educating yourself. Well, you know, one thing that I I want to kind of in that vein, I'm you know so excited about the coalition and the the work that Ren's doing in the coalition. Um, the thing that really excites me is when you go into the room or here Zoom, um, into the Zoom room. Um, it's pretty amazing who's sitting at the table. I mean, we have um, the directors of different offices at the Department of Behavioral Health and Developmental Services. We have the director of APS. We have someone from DMAS, somebody from the Inspector General's office. Um, and most importantly, we have self-advocates there who can give us um, you know, the real world view of issues. Uh, we have providers um, from both the institutional setting, such as the PRTF, the Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facilities, um, as well as group homes and day support programs. But if you're interested in joining the coalition, let us let us know. Um, as, as Ren put it, you know, they're very excited and they want to get involved in more things um, and having more people at the table and more views. And uh, that would be really exciting. So it's a wonderful group of people to work with. Um, I don't feel like, you know, a lot of times you had 10 to two hour meeting and you're like, not looking forward to it. I actually look forward to these meetings. Uh, everybody is very involved and engaged. And we, our goal is to really get something done, not just attend a meeting. So if you're interested in joining us, uh, let us know. Yeah, you can do that by going to uh, our website, dlcv.org, and clicking on the link uh, with volunteer opportunities. That is honestly going to be an easier option for you than trying to spell Ren's last name of Fazuski and sending her a direct email. Um, so again, it's dlcv.org uh, and go to our volunteer link. Um, but it, uh, Dana or Aaron, whichever one of you wants to chime in on this, if somebody's thinking about applying for services from a provider licensed by DBHDS, you know, whether that's residential services to case management, where can they go to learn more about that provider's licensing history and what they do, especially well, especially poorly, anything like that? A great question. So we've talked a lot about what DLCV does with the information we have access to through Chris. And a lot of that information we have is confidential, right? We, it includes um, names and addresses and birthdays and other identifying information. So the Chris database itself is not available to the public, but DBHDS does publicly post both routine 
provider inspection reports. And when people file complaints with DBHDS Office of Licensing, a report is generated um, after that complaint is investigated as well. It's not the easiest website to navigate, but we're gonna include the links um, for those pages in the show notes so you can, um, you know, poke around if you are already working with a specific provider and wanna see what their history is, or if you've been thinking about, you know, maybe accessing some newer different services. It's a great um, self-advocacy or family advocacy tool to employ to maybe head off um, issues um, that perhaps there's already a documented history of with some providers. There are some specific providers, institutional providers that are both licensed by DBHDS and they're certified by the federal Medicaid agency, which is called CMS for short. And those providers are gonna include things like the psychiatric residential treatment facilities, intermediate care facilities, and um, also like inpatient psychiatric units and hospitals. In addition to having public DBHDS licensing reports, you can access reports about those programs through the Virginia Department of Health. It's not as straightforward, unfortunately. There's not just like a link you can go to and pull down the reports. You're probably gonna have to do what they call a Freedom of Information Act request, FOIA, but we'll include contact information for the, um, the FOIA folks over at the Virginia Department of Health in case anybody wants to um, pull down some report histories, inspection histories for those more institutional types of settings. You know, if somebody wants to find out more about a provider, one thing that unfortunately DLCV can't do, don't call us and ask, is this a good provider? Is this not a good provider? We're not able to give recommendations on that kind of thing. It's very subjective. So, you know, going to the licensing inspections or talking to people who currently receive services from that provider is going to be your best bet. Unfortunately, that's not necessarily something we can help with. Let's say somebody has, you know, concern about a provider that is licensed by DBHDS. Who exactly do they contact to relay this concern? So if someone has a concern about a licensed provider, there are actually several places they can go um, to file a complaint, depending on, you know, what it involves. You can always call DLCV and ask us for um, assistance in deciding how to file a complaint. Um, we can help you uh, find the right portal to do that. Um, we have uh, we take calls on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 8:30 to 4. I think 8.30 to 4, Erin's shaking her, nodding her head. Um, and so on those days, you can call and talk to someone and they'll get you to um, someone who knows that information and can help walk you through that process. Um, you can contact the DBHDS Office of Licensing or Office of Human Rights. Um, they have, a, I think it's a button on their page that says file a complaint. Um, and you can do it that way. You can also let the Virginia Office of the State Inspector General know about your complaint. Um, they do inspect um, licensed programs and often provide a report on those inspections. 
if it's uh, licensed by the, the, the Virginia Department of Health, um, nursing homes fall into that category. Um, uh, Aaron, I think you were saying um, some other that fall under the Virginia Department of Health, would that be all CMS? It's all CMS certified facilities, which are usually the bigger institutional programs, the intermediate care facilities, psychiatric hospitals, and psychiatric residential treatment facilities for kids. So you can file a complaint with them. And, but the, the really important thing to know is that if it is uh, something that is causing imminent risk to that person, um, where it is true, uh, truly an emergency situation where they're being hurt or harmed in some way. Um, you may want to call law enforcement at that point if it's something that's imminent and they're being hurt. You can also call adult protective services or child protective services, depending on the age of the individual, um, and have them investigate it. Um, in our show notes, let's include the um, numbers for the State Office of Adult Protective Services and Child Protective Services. So there are many ways that you can let people know um, that you are concerned about what's going on in these programs. Well, I think that we are all part of an amazing team and we all do great work. Um, but I think this, is a, this has been a really good rundown as to a really important part of DLCB, something that we advocated strongly for in the legislature and we were able to successfully have access to the site of Chris. I think that we've given, you know, the, we've given our listeners a really good idea of how we've been able to use this information um, to better promote the safety of individuals with disabilities in the community and hopefully how we can continue to do so. And I want to thank all of you for coming on and chatting today. It's uh, good to see you guys and you guys are great. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And now a DLCV highlight. We here at DLCV want to let you know how much we appreciate you continuing to listen to this podcast. Over the next few months, we will be playing our greatest hits as we prepare for our upcoming year. So we hope you'll stay tuned because new stuff is on the way and we can't wait to see you back here in a few months with new episodes. Stay tuned! Please continue to stay subscribed so that when new episodes come, you will be the first to find out. There will be some new episodes in the upcoming weeks, and then we'll start our greatest hits replay. We will see you soon. Once again, I want to thank Aaron and Dana for joining us today. Not only are they amazing podcast guests as always, but we love being part of this team and doing all these things with Chris. They're just fabulous people. Yeah, uh, we're really excited about the potential legislation. Um, if you have strong feelings about that, if you have questions about that, feel free to visit our website. We've got a little more information there. Um, and yeah, just continue to keep your eyes on the General Assembly. And as the person who is currently in charge of the Coalition for Community Safety, if that sounds something that you'd, be, you'd really like to be involved in, 
uh, go to dlcv.org under volunteers and let us know you're interested. I welcome all comers. It doesn't matter if you're a provider um, in any place in the service system. And we always love uh, people with disabilities and self-advocates joining the team. So absolutely reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Rights Here, Rights Now, brought to you by the Disability Law Center of Virginia. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. If you need assistance or want more information about DLCV and what we do, visit us online at dlcv.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Disability Law VA, and we have a Facebook, which is the Disability Law Center of Virginia. Go ahead and like us and share us with your friends. Until next time, I'm Virginia Ferris. And I'm Ren Fazuski. And this has been Rights Here. Rights Now.